Welcome to Meet the Little Nouners. I am here with Marva Girl. She's going to tell us about herself. She's going to tell us about what she's been doing in Web3, how she joined, how she joined Little Nouns, and so much more. Welcome, Marvel. Awesome. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and honored to be here. I know you've been doing a lot of amazing work within the Little Nouns community and the Squad Announce. We took them in kind of highlighting a lot of the builders and projects that are propagating the meme. Yeah, so nice to meet you. Yeah, my name is Mosh. That's actually like my real name. But I go by Marvel Girl because mm. I am a huge fan of X-Men. Specifically, Jean Grey, who's the Phoenix. And one of her aliases was Marvel Girl. And so I saw the ENS name was like open. <laughs> Nobody claimed it. Mm -hmm. And so I took it so that, you know, it could just be my pseudonym as well. <laughs> throughout Web3. But yeah little bit about me. I'm originally from Bangladesh, but I grew up in the Middle East and kind of moved around the world to the West between Toronto and California. And right now I am kind of sticking more to my nomadic upbringing and being a no digital nomad. So hoping to like go through Arizona, that's where I'm currently am, to New York and then Europe this year. So very excited for that to meeting like new communities, being in new environments and yeah, learning new things. Yeah. So that's like a little bit about who I am and what I like, what I'm kind of focusing on <laughs> this year. Um, in my day job, I work at Celo. So we are like a layer one blockchain, similar to Polygon near, and we are, you know, really building the chain for regenerative finance social impact and climate kind of our kind of philosophy is really like how do we make money beautiful how do we make money work for good and that's kind of you know what really interested me about cello you know how they were really building solutions for emerging markets and and for making it easy for people to access crypto for financial good yeah so at cello i work on the nft initiative and the nft ecosystem and yeah, that's kind of what I do. I kind of help a lot of builders building on top of the network, get resources to launch on Celo. I help like find creators and artists who resonate with the Celo mission to launch their collections on Celo. And I also, you know, source like infrastructure and help, you know, scale use cases for enterprise solutions as well. So is very much like the three to four fold job um, in my day to day. And then at night, I am exploring, contributing to the Little Mounds, Little Mounds DAO, the Little Mounds community. I loved kind of, you know, just how the Nouns community has really congregated together to build, you know, really amazing DAO solutions and governance solutions that can honestly be used for all. I love how the Nouns community really also focused on public goods, funding public goods, proliferating the meme and the creativity of like the community just blew me away. And, you know, I was just like, well, how do I kind of get into the action and start contributing? And yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. I spend my time kind of liaising between what the props are within Little Mounds and then trying to find builders from other ecosystems such as PeopleDAO so that, you know, we can all 
you know, proliferate the mean together and have a really awesome cross-pollination. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm focusing on day and night. And then outside of crypto, just like learning how to do more yoga, learning how to get more flexible. <laughs> yeah, just focusing on like, you know, just general health stuff, fitness stuff. That's kind of what I'm really interested in being from the outdoorsy, you know, the Arizona has some amazing mountains and lakes. And so we have a lot of awesome like hiking options as well. And that's kind of what I like to do during my spare time. <laughs> yeah, that's a little about me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So can you tell us more about Celo? I read about this. So one of, one of the core values of Celo is sacred economics. Yeah. So tell, yeah. Us, t tell me about that. Like, I'm very curious. I wanted to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm the best person to like talk about sacred economics just because like, I think it's, it's, I don't know, like, I think there's like definitely more people within the company who are like, who are just so fluent at this, just in the way that they approach the world. But yeah, from like, you know, from working at Celo, I definitely think the company em embodies a lot of what sacred economics is. So sacred economics is actually a book by Charles Eisenstein, and it really just like traces the history of money and how money has evolved from like this ancient culture of like gifting, right, to modern capitalism. And it really traces like how this money system, the, the modern capitalist money system has actually kind of contributed to more like alienation, like competition and scarcity, right? Like the first thing that, you know, when you go into like econ class is like you learn about scarcity 101 and the scarcity of resources. And when you kind of look at it, it, it is really sad that, you know, we live in a world that is run by systems of such a scarce mindset. Right. And that is what leads to like extractive communities. It's what leads to exploitation. And it's also what really leads to like, you know, this in inequality, this global financial and resource inequality. And so, you know, what this book really is, is that it's literally like a waking call to people to realize that, hey, the world that we live in, like, you know, we may have taken this scarce mindset for granted. But this is not something that we need to kind of adhere to if we want to live a life of abundance. And, and how do we transition to more of a world where we have economies that benefit each other, that regenerate each other, right? You take a resource from the economy, but you're building something that contributes back, back to the land. It contributes back to the factors of production. And how do we actually create a way where we can actually build kind of a more connected ecological and sustainable framework for just living and being. How do we do that on a systematic level? And, and I think like all of these kind of these frameworks and pillars is what Cello is built upon. Like Cello's kind of mission is really to build upon. Our mission is to like ensure prosperity for all. And the way that we're doing that is through regenerative economics and regenerative finance. And when I say regenerative finance, you know, it sounds really broad and it is. But essentially what it is, is building circular models and structuring economies, economics in such a way that like you are essentially using resources to create more resources. You're creating a system where you are giving back to the factors of production that you're taking from and more. 
and you're, you know, taking in positive externalities and uh, realizing them and actualizing them so that others can use it as well. And I think that that's really, you know, what really excites me about Cello. I think that in the beginning, like Cello really started off this mission by focusing on emerging markets. We actually have a huge presence in Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, Ghana. We have a huge presence in Latin America and the Philippines as well. And a lot of the Web3 solutions that we really focused on were like mobile first payment, micro work solutions. So people that are doing, you know, micro work tasks can get access to like crypto as income. And also, you know, decentralized kind of loans as well. And since the beginning, we've been focusing on how do we make it as easy for folks to access like crypto and to access financial like equity. And yeah, since then we kind of decided that, well, how do we go beyond this? And, you know, what does regenerative finance really mean? Is it just like creating regenerative financial models or searching up financial models? Or is it also like taking care of our earth, taking care of our climate? Because these are the resources that ultimately are scarce. And how do we create models that regenerate them as well? So a lot of the solutions this past year that we've been focusing on have also been climate-based solutions. So how do you make it, you know, easy and transparent to recover plastic? How do you make it easy and transparent to hold companies and enterprises accountable to climate change? How do you make it easy and transparent to buy and sell carbon credits? And these are kind of the broader solutions that we are innovating on. And all of these are kind of, you know, rooted in sacred economics and kind of the pillars of sacred economics. This is brilliant. I think Cello is introducing a, a probably a brand new ideal when it comes to the space. Yeah. Right? It's Yeah. Even when you look at the terms, we have degens, right? Degenerates. Yeah. <laughs> but here with Cello, we have regenerates. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's yeah. quite a, an interesting shift in paradigm. So Yeah, we're, you... we're definitely hardcore regens. <laughs> you right? got that, right? <laughs> Can you yeah. can you tell me about some of the work Cello has done in the past? Some, something that really stands out. Yeah, I mean, for me particularly, I had the so I joined Cello not as the NFT lead. I actually joined Cello as part of the research and innovation group, and we were really focused on like pilots. And you know, we were very much like you know the group that like throws a bunch of stuff at the wall and sees what sticks, right? And at that time, like a big focus on Cello was like DeFi, right? How do you, yeah, how do you create more open, accessible financial markets for all? And how do we actually bring that to the masses? Because I think a lot of DeFi right now, and at the beginning still was like, you know, it, a lot of DGENs really used it. And that's a very small market, right? It's usually like crypto bros with like at least 10K of disposable income that they're willing to like, you know, bet into highly volatile markets to see some form of return. But majority of people around the world are actually living in more riskier situations. They're living below the poverty line. And, you know, they're, they don't have a way to access traditional capital markets because they don't have the employment background or the education background or even like the credit history to back them or, or any collateral as well. So one of the projects that, or pilots that we really worked on that I loved was under collateralized lending, right? Like, how do you make it easy for somebody in emerging market to access a DeFi loan or a decentralized loan 
but without any like sort of traditional collateral, like a house or, you know, like a car and stuff like that. And so we tried out the thesis in Kenya. That's kind of where I had the privilege to go for for two weeks. So Kenya, I think, is probably one of the most innovative kind of landscapes when it comes to like technology. I think like the fact that M-Pesa really has revolutionized like payments. It's revolutionized like access to capital for all. And we really want to leverage that. So we were like, well, how do we make it super easy for Kenyan farmers to basically text like a code to like a loan provider and request, you know, like 15,000 Kenyan shillings or 20,000 Kenyan shillings, however much they need for like, you know, three months. And then, you know, we defined the payback period to have two options. So one option could be like the farmer or the borrower can essentially be like, yeah, you know, like I want to pay the loan, like, you know, in my own time, like, you know, in my own way. The other option would be like, I'll, you can take out like, you know, a portion of my monthly salary to pay the loan. So in this case, like, you know, because there is no like traditional collateral, like house or car, what we focused on was like making sure that the borrowers were part of like a company. And what that allowed was like based on the level that they were at the company, like whether they were like a part-time worker or a full-time employee or at a higher level, that social capital and that social kind of relationship that you would have with your employer is the collateral. And it is what would enable you as like a borrower to essentially advocate for like a higher, you know, principal amount or like a lower interest amount. And I think that just like the way that that pilot was designed, the ability for me to like, you know, go to Kenya, talk to farmers, understand like, you know, what are their daily needs was just so insightful. It's interesting just to see, you know, we were, I think before this podcast, we were like talking about how similar, like how closely tied like cultures of the world are through language and through trade. And we also realized just like how, how similar like everyone really is, like in terms of like wants and desires, like a lot of these farmers, you know, all they wanted was to be able to pay school fees and make sure that their kids didn't end up in positions where they were working 14 hour days, like on a farm to make sure that their kids had the best resources possible for their future. You know, a lot of folks really just wanted like a goat or like a cow that they could basically milk and like sell cheese and you know, it just, it really gave us like a lot of insights as to like, wow, like, you know, what people really want is like some form of control over their future, some form of, you know, some form of prosperity. And that's what we want in the West too. It's not, it's not so different. You know, like I grew up very privileged and my parents also wanted like the best education for me because they didn't want me to suffer, you know, kind of like them. And I think that really touched me. And I also think like the fact we were able to offer a decentralized loan through the traditional method of, you know, SMSing a code, but we were able to offer that loan at 5% compared to a farmer, you know, accessing the loan through M-Pesa for 24% interest rate. And I think just, you know, also that kind of that potential for DeFi to essentially make loans more accessible, make the access to financial capital affordable, transparent, make it on chain, just really excited me. And I think that that was really groundbreaking work that we did or that I did really meaningful work that I did in my career. So I'll always like, you know, hold that use case kind of to sell its potential. Um, beyond that, you know, we're doing a lot of, we continue to do a lot of work in emerging markets. A lot of our work right now is really, again, focused on 
more regenerative climate and kind of conserving a lot of different ecosystems, putting that information on chain and stuff like that. And so like, that's kind of also what we're working on. Like, how do we build better monitoring verification systems, better geospatial systems that can track like conservation that can track contributions on chain and then map it to like in real life forest conservation in real life like biome ecosystem conservation and so that's really exciting and i think that also increases the opportunity for nfts as well to be used for good so that's kind of what a lot of my work right now since i transitioned from the innovation team to nfts is really focused on so how do i create more utility focused nfts um that not only give access to people to get closer to, you know, their favorite kind of creator, but also it benefits the planet in some kind of way. And this could be both from a financial standpoint, like how, you know, are like, you know, the funds from the NFTs being used to fund conservation projects. Or, you know, it could also be from like a climate standpoint where like, you know, are the funds from the NFTs being used to like help with plastic recovery? Are they being used to fund like climate funds? Are they being used to fund interesting climate infrastructure? And so that's kind of what I'm really focusing on as well these days. That's, that's fascinating. What really, really stood out to me was the using social capital as a measure for credit worthiness. I think yeah. that's a different thing from what we're used to. I think when when you yeah. look at when you look at more advanced societies there's the, they're more individualistic which makes it very hard to use that same kind of thinking yeah. where where you can use social capital to to measure credit worthiness but when you went to kenya you leveraged social capital in what i assume to be something that's a, a country that's really extremely social or where the social cohesion is very very strong and you leverage that to bring more accessibility to finance that's that's incredible work that's a very interesting paradigm and also yeah. the thing about innovation is especially when it comes to blockchain in general right it's at odds with what we currently have the current infrastructure that we have right and because it's at odds it's much easier to just forget that there's traditional infrastructure and just move towards building, you know, blockchain. And what you guys yeah. did with this pilot is you provided decentralized loans through traditional infrastructure or something people are something that people yeah, are people are used to, to through, yeah. Through Mpesa that yeah. you Yeah. Mentioned. And that's I think that's uh, there's there's a ton to learn from this pilot. And the other thing that really really stood out to me was was this exploration of prosperity. So usually when we think about prosperity, we have insert country name here, dream, the country name dream, right? It's the American dream or it's you know, it's some form of ideal that yeah, that a whole country yeah, or western even, ideal, yeah. A, a western ideal. But here yeah. it's different. It's it's prosperity on its own, and you kind of also leveraged this form of prosperity to see how how blockchain can be of use, and that and I find that very yeah. interesting. 
No, thank you. Yeah, I think you summarized it really well. I, yeah, like two to three points on that, right? Like social cohesion. Well, I think like, first of all, you know, the big thing that we really need to work on this space, and you're absolutely right. And I, you know, I literally say this till my voice is like hoarse, is that like Web3 people are building Web3 solutions for other Web3 people. And like, it's just going to be this incestuous circle of like a small block of users that are like really Web3 native, but there really isn't like, much and you know like every web3 like i think brand loves to talk about bringing on the next billion but like if you don't truly meet users where they are you're not going to be able to do that and with that you know there's a lot of really awesome like what i i appreciate how complex web3 architecture is but as somebody who's like you know have also have had the privilege to like understand where Web3 can make the most impact and the most difference, I've learned to also appreciate really good product design and people who can really like meet users where they are. Because I think that that is probably the most empathetic way to build a Web3 product and to get the impact that you want out of it. When it comes to like social cohesion, I think it's so interesting. I think you're absolutely right. Like the society itself needs to be really socially cohesive in order for social capital to be used as a form of collateral. And I think like it really takes us back to like what Web3 is really all about. And like, it's really about like identity and self-sovereignty, right? Like we give away our data so easily in the Web2 world. Like, you know, we're typing in our addresses, we're typing in our credit card information, we're typing in like our emails and there's no other way to like, you know, access the services that we want without giving our information like freely. And to some extent, like, you know, these data points are being used by companies for millions and millions of dollars. And we don't have any sort of authority as to where that information goes, how it's controlled, right? How our own data is controlled and essentially how our own online identity is is controlled. And I think like since the beginning, the ethos of Web3 was like self-sovereignty. How do you bring back ownership of one's data to themselves? And how does one use that and leverage that for, you know, their own benefit or for their own prosperity? And I think like, that's what's really interesting. Like, you know, as I've been working through NFTs, like in 2020, 2021, like we've seen the rise of NFTs. We saw people, you know, sell as NFT at Christie for $63 million. And for the longest while, like NFTs were essentially JPEGs that like, APEC tokens that essentially like prove that, you know, you owned it, right? Or like it was just a proof of ownership. But what I'm really exploring now more since this pilot is really like, how does social cohesion work? And how does decentralized identity really work? And how do we actually bring back decentralized identity as like a core thesis or a core function for NFTs as well? Because we use like our PFPs, right? Like our little nouns PFPs, like one of our like one of our, one of the parts and aspects of our decentralized identity. And to some extent, like it gives us some form of social capital, like within the little nouns, like DAO as well. So how can we leverage other forms of our decentralized identity and use that as social capital as well? So I think like just social capital in general is like a really interesting aspect of Web3. And there's a lot of really cool companies building on it. But I think it might actually be like the next frontier that's really going to unlock like better, more ma- more mass use cases for like DeFi and for NFTs as well. For sure. For sure. So yeah, that's kind of like my two cents on that. <laughs> Speaking of little nouns, how did you, how yeah. did you find them? Yeah, 
I actually, so my partner, he's the founder of People Down, and he has been like a little noun fan for like such a long time. And, you know, he, one day he was like on the little noun, like auction thing, just like buying so many little nouns. And I was just like, what are you doing? And he's just like, well, you know, you got to check this out. Like, you know, these nouns are so cute. And also like they are really pushing some really awesome proposals and stuff. I think it'd be really cool since you're interested in like governance and DAOs in general to just like get one and kind of, you know, explore like the landscape. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got introduced to Little Mound, basically through people DAO. I, you know, kind of like looked through kind of the proposals you guys put forth, kind of the prop houses, the prop rounds that, that, you know, we have, what people were kind of, you know, interested in proliferating, building. I was absolutely blown away by like the architectures of the Nouns ecosystem used and the fact that this architecture came from decentralized funding and the funding and, and these architectures are public goods, like, you know, Proplot, Agora, all these things. And so to me, that really excited me because infrastructure is something that's just so exciting to me, especially public infrastructure. And so, you know, I was just like, yeah, I think this would be really awesome to like, just, you know, get to know like who are the core members, get to know if I can also like, help builders from people DAO kind of, you know, build something for little nouns. I noticed that, you know, like having core builders and core devs, it's always really hard to retain. It's, it's a tough job and, but also necessary. And so, you know, yeah, I think that's really how, how I really got it. You know, I bid on, bid on my little PFP and then, you know, I got connected to Al actually, who was so kind to kind of, you know, show me the lay of the land. And then, yeah, just started, you know, just like also asking a lot of builders within people now who are like working for part-time work, who are looking to build really cool projects that, hey, like, you know, we have these prop rounds open, like, do you want to submit a proposal and stuff like that? And I kind of started helping them with their proposals, helping them structure it and stewarding through like the campaigning process as well. So yeah, that's how I kind of got started and I'm still learning. I think it, I still have a long way to go, but it's really fun that I get to play kind of, you know this intermediary for cross-pollination. Yeah, within people down and little mound. I think there's a good pipeline for synergy between people DAO and the nouns yeah. ecosystem as, as a whole. I think, like you said, when, when you steward in more builders, help them with their props and, you know, just help them in general step into the nouns ecosystem. I think there's, there's a lot that we can those two ecosystems they can synergize over and that's yeah that's yeah right yeah that's that's interesting no absolutely yeah i mean i think i can also give like a quick spiel about what people do is i don't think i really had i really like gave that context but yeah basically people do yeah people do is essentially like a talent focused service now slash like a recruiting down made up of like crypto native recruiters and Kind of their goal is really like to connect, build and propagate communities of builders so that they can enable like really intentional innovation for like the Web3 space. And kind of where, you know, they're working on is like, you know, we're living in our Web3 world right now is very fragmented. There is a lot of, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of companies with a lot of junior talent that can basically get like a lot of funding for their own projects. But this actually means that there's actually like less opportunities and jobs for folks who don't want to do that, you know, that like are just new graduates or they just want to get into Web3. And so, you know, what's really 
interesting with like people value that they're really trying to, you know, bridge this information asymmetry and make it easy, you know, for really top like communities and ecosystems like Optimism, Arbitrum, Lit Protocol, you know, in layer to get some of the best talent in this space. And at the end of the day, like we're in a space where it's very nascent, where product market fit is also a little iffy. And so, you know, being able to like basically what speaks to the success of like, you know, a project is the team. And I think like recruiters are just like such an underrated source, but you know, they essentially, the right recruiters essentially will make or break your team. And I would say like people that really has kind of recruiters that are super crypto native. I mean, Alec, who's like the founder, he was the previous head of Consensus Mesh, head of talent at Consensus Mesh. And so, you know, they have really honed and refined kind of how they source the right people, how they give, you know, access to the right talent so that projects can basically scale and build more cohesive solutions. And so that's what I really like enjoy about that. And, you know, I really love that Nouns, Little Nouns and the Nouns ecosystem is like a space for innovation. And I think, you know, this is also, this ecosystem is a great space for a lot of talent that want to like contribute to like the frontiers of innovation, to get access to this ecosystem, get to know like, you know, what it means to be Nounish, what it means to build something Nounish, and then build those solutions that anyone can use. Because I think a lot of what Nouns funds is like open source public goods that actually reduces fragmentation. So I would say like when we're thinking about people, DAO's goals and, and Nouns goals, you know, like it's, it's very similar. There's a lot of synergy. There's a lot of overlap. And, you know, they both provide like, you know, the necessary kind of resources to make these proposals kind of happen. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'm optimizing for. Like, how do I get more opportunities for really awesome, you know, proposals for builders? And then how do I source the right builders for little Nouns as well? So that, you know, little nouns and the nouns ecosystem has like sustainable talent as well. If you, if anyone is listening to this, reach out. It's people DAO, P-E-E-P-L-D-A-O. Yeah, it's people. Right. <laughs> we're the peeps. We're... <laughs> oh, is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so you, you're, you're the peeps. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. okay now, now I get it. We're the peeps. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a really awesome little nouner called Marcus, and he's really doing a really cool podcast called Last Mile DeFi, and he's like a fellow. And so I was privileged enough to be able to like steward his proposal. And then we have a couple other folks that want to build like really cool infrastructure. Um, I know like Little Nouns and the Nouns ecosystem had some awesome like CK rounds. I know Al had like a really cool proposal on like data availability. And so, yeah, if there are like any proposals that are like very infrastructure focused or even like, you know, really product focused. We have a plethora of really top builders and talent that are like ranging from EVM engineers to protocol engineers to CK like specialists who are looking for like these kind of opportunities, you know? And so, yeah, if you're thinking about a proposal like that, please DM me, reach out to me, Discord, Telegram. And I'll Twitter, yeah. include all the links in the in the show notes. So if you are listening, you you've heard it from Marvel Girl, girl, Marvel, <laughs> my God, Marvel Girl, girl, yeah, you, you heard it from her. Um, or Mosh, you can just say Mosh too. Yeah, you've heard it from her. <laughs> so yeah, just DM, DM, DM. So 
<laughs> Tell me about your work in blockchain at Berkeley. Yeah. Oh, this is a special place in my heart. So blockchain at Berkeley is basically how I got into Web3 in the first place. So I had the chance, you know, really awesome opportunity to go to Berkeley for my undergrad. And I was studying applied math and econ. And my second year, I was just like, well, you know, I got to like join a club because everyone's joining a club. And like, what do I do? I could have joined like a consulting club, like a business consulting club, which is like always fun because you always have like a project, you know, with like stuff that's due at the end and you learn a lot and make friends. But I really wanted to like do something that was more emerging tech. And back in 2016, it was like machine learning or like, you know, Bitcoin. I'm not even blockchain, I would say, like Bitcoin. And so, you know, machine learning was really cool, but I, you know, I saw like the Bitcoin Association and I kind of saw like a little of the case studies that they did. And I, again, like the, the ability to like create really open access to like financial markets really interested me coming from Bangladesh, you know, like I come from the land of microfinance and I've seen how that has been really awesome for like my people. And I really wanted to work on technology that, you know, was essentially making those financial markets immutable and transparent. Because even in those countries that are proponents of microfinance, there is huge amounts of corruption going on as well. And so I joined. It was essentially, it was originally called the Bitcoin Association at Berkeley. And then like the semester that I joined, they recently changed it to blockchain at Berkeley because they were exploring, you know, things beyond Bitcoin. And it was also the time, you know, when it was kind of like rising. I think it was like, like $10 or something like that. Like it was in, it was really early. And yeah, like we were, that's kind of where, you know, I met some of my best friends from college. I learned so much, you know, I learned about, I learned about everything from like just regular cryptography, how that feeds into like the technical infrastructure for Bitcoin, proof of work, you know, proof of state. And then, you know, at that time, we also had like some of these alt L1s. I think Celo was starting out too in 2017, Cardano, Monero, um, and, you know, kind of learned about, learned about those kind of alt layer ones as well. And essentially what happened during my time was like, I was, I was in blockchain at Berkeley for around three years and the student org spinned out a consulting arm and I had the chance to work on really awesome consulting projects. So, you know, I was able to work on developing like blockchain-based supply chain-like systems for healthcare networks, do analytics for like Augur, which was a really big prediction market at that time, and then also work on like using blockchain-based systems for smart energy, for smart energy marketplaces. So like if you lived in like a remote community in China, you know, and you're using decentralized energy resources, how can like one household essentially, you know, sell their excess energy to another household or via smart contract? How do you enable those transactions? So yeah, it was such an exciting time. And, you know, I, I had just the chance to work on a myriad of projects and understand like, you know, in what applications are, is blockchain really exciting and makes a lot of sense and brings a lot of value and in what applications it doesn't because that's also totally fine yeah so that's really how i kind of got into the space and then from blockchain at berkeley i actually started a diversity nonprofit called she 256 
with my friends from Blockchain at Berkeley. We were really focused on bringing more women into the space because we really believe that at the governance level for protocols, as protocols began to decentralize, there needs to be like more diversity as yeah. well in terms of voting power. Yeah. And so right now, you know, I left Shoot to 56 a year, a year and a half after its launch. We did a whole like we did Berkeley's first women in blockchain conference. And then wow. we also, you know, went to like Stanford blockchain a week as well and did a lot of stuff there. We have mentorship programs. I left a year and a half later, but actually Sheet of 56 is one of the biggest delegates in the Uniswap protocol governance, which is really awesome. And yeah, they're, they're just killing it. And so, yeah, since then, you know, I've just been really kind of working on different projects in the space. I worked for Dispatch Labs, which was a delegated proof of stake protocol network, did a lot of ecosystem project management for them and then joined Cello. So that's kind of like my journey. And that has been there every part of the way, <laughs> really lifetime kind of friends that I've made there. So yeah, very special part in my heart. Wow. That, that is, so you started with Berkeley, went through it, explored a lot, learned a lot. And then yeah. here you are at Cello, PeopleDAO. Yeah, this this sounds like a crazy journey where you really learn a bunch of things. Yeah, I did. I mean, I I think like more speaking to you now, I realize that like I've I've honestly have had a very privileged journey of just be to some extent like I guess like it was the right moment and the right time, but also just like being surrounded by good good people who themselves were always learning and always willing to share. I think that's also really important to surround yourself with people who are willing to like elevate you, right? And willing to teach you, to take out the time to empower you. And I have really been lucky in that. And I'm always grateful for that, actually. Like even even in Little Nouns, right? Like the dedication of like a lot of the core contributors, including you, including Al, the little sisters, like really blows me away. And yeah, like I continue to kind of understand and learn like what motivates different people, right? What motivates different groups and understanding that really also helps me understand like, well, what is the motivation for using blockchain and Web3 in this use case? Yeah. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway <laughs> through my years in Web3. Yeah. Okay. So to anyone who's, who's listening, let's say they're, they're just new here, new to the space. Learn, they, they want to learn a lot. They, they don't know yeah. their way around. What would you tell them? Understand how blockchain works. Like, take the time to, like, read. I, you know, like, before I used to, like, tell people just build something. But now I'm just like, it is your first, like, month to just understand how blockchain works and understand how traditional infrastructure works, right? Understand how AWS centralized infrastructure and database works. Because ultimately, whatever use case you build, people will ask you the question, why couldn't you just do it the Web2 way? And understanding, understanding that will also give you a lot of insight into like the cultural ethos of Web3, which is decentralization. It is self-sovereignty. It is liberating oneself outside of the confines of traditional society. And then from then, you know, I think there are some amazing kind of niches that like one can explore. Some of the things that really excited me in the beginning were of course payments, 
but now a lot of companies are building really cool infrastructure just around scaling, right? Like a lot of projects are just focused on how do you make them efficient? If that is something that interests you, understand, you know, like deep dive into it, understand why people are doing that, why they believe is the future. I think that's really important to know. And then from there on, you know, I would say you can then branch out or niche into like DK stuff, data availability, DAOs, you know, public goods, like NFTs, DeFi, like there is just, there's something for everyone. It's just so exciting to see how rich and diverse our ecosystem has become. I think like when it comes to like choosing what's your niche, I think it's about marrying your learning with also what your values are. Like, what do you value? as well. So that's going to be really important. Yeah. So, and I think that's, what's going to keep you motivated. So I know if you also value self-sovereignty and freedom, you know, maybe decentralized identity is the way to go. If you value like financial prosperity and open financial markets, maybe DeFi is the way to go. Once you can marry your learnings with your values, that's where magic really happens. That's amazing. I really find interesting the thing you'd said where you have to marry or to find out your niche you kind of take your interests or your studies and you bring them together with the things that you value. And that's, that's a very important point because in a space where a lot is happening in, in a space where you, you can be, you know, taken into many different directions, a lot of, a lot of things happening. It's, it's very easy to get distracted and find new interests. <laughs> when you marry yeah. it with your values, it's, it becomes something that's timeless and it's something that you become passionate about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this with me and taking your time. Yeah, this this has been another Girl, thank you so episode. much. I'm yeah, no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, if anybody just wants to like say hi or need any form of support within Little Nouns now or beyond, please don't be afraid to just reach out. You can find me at Twitter at MarvelGirl.eat. And also a telegram at Maj Batata. I will send all of these information to Brooke. But yeah, thank you again, Brooke. It was such a privilege to be here. Thank you. Bye. Well, you've made it this far. Thank you for listening in. Make sure to check us out on littlenouns.wtf. That's L-I-L-N-O-U-N-S dot W-T-F. Mm-hmm.